Good morning. It is seven minutes after 11 o'clock, and it is Think Tank Thursday. Coming up, Dave Rowland has scored another victory for Liberty. He did it in Greene County. And I'm dying to find out about this uh, new case he's taking, dealing with animal, animal husbandry. Uh, a worker that's been targeted with a lawsuit by the Missouri Veterinary Medical Board. Like, how, how, how do they have the right to sue anybody? Why do they even exist? Anyway, we're going to find out because uh, he's got that and several other stories. But, ladies and gentlemen, having stepped into the uh, the studio, one Mike Murphy from ComoBuzz.com with one Z. Also, by the way, host of a show every Sunday morning at 8 a.m., uh, and uh, it's Como Bus with two Z's. Yes, <laughs> just so you know, we add the extra Z because yeah. uh, we're grammatically correct here. Um, it, well, that actually doesn't have grammar, but it doesn't matter. He's with us. Good morning. Good morning. City of Columbia hires Jefferson City law firm to argue in court the legal loophole to avoid breach of contract uh, in a citizen's lawsuit on uh, picking up. Uh, Recycle. Yeah, goods. I thought I thought it w- you would like to know that it's at least notable that the city council hires a high. You know, they have a pretty good legal staff of their own. They hire a high-powered Jefferson City law firm to uh, find the legal loophole. Better best way to say it, it has to do with contract law, so that they can uh, to fight this what they want to be a or what citizens hope becomes a class action lawsuit against the city for. No longer picking up their curbside recycling, but continuing to charge them for it. Looking for loopholes, so they charge. The, uh, the hubris here is it's kind of kind of hard to uh, to ignore. Well, something is. It's like uh, it's one thing. I, I, there's probably not much choice in the matter for them to be honest. They're being sued. They got to defend themselves. But how ironic that our 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 city, our leaders, are in court uh, finding. Uh, uh, loopholes in state contract law that will allow them, well, probably will keep them from having to pay us back, frankly, but will allow them to continue charging us $17.85 or whatever it is every month to pick up our garbage and recycling, but not pick up the recycling. How, how far back does this... Uh, back to the- May, May of last year. So this lady in Columbia, she, she got an attorney and filed, filed a lawsuit, and they're asking that it be turned into a class action suit. The judge hasn't ruled yet. It's in Boone County Circuit Court saying that you, 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 for all along, we paid this $17 a month, and we got curbside pickup of our garbage and recycling. Last May, you discontinued the recycling pickup because you didn't have truck drivers or whatever. You made a choice to do it. It's actually a charter-mandated service they're supposed to provide. But you kept charging us the same amount. The months go by, you don't pick it up. The months go, continue to go by, you don't pick it up. You keep charging us the same amount. You're saying, hang on a second here. We shouldn't be getting charged for this. You either, you, number one, you owe it back. But number two, you need to quit charging it. And they wrote it up. The lawyers did as a breach of contract. Well, the city responded and said, no, it's not a breach of contract because there is no contract because you don't have a written contract that's signed and dated by us that says we will do this. So that's oh, our. Oh man, is that thin ice? <laughs> so the 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 plaintiff, this lady and her attorney, has responded, and they're they're making the case now that the bill you the bill you send us every month that's dated and has the fee schedule on it, and that we can request or not request should stand for this uh, 
the contract. Uh, yes, and that's in front of the judge right now. We should get a ruling on that. Uh, I think that I think the city has an opportunity. Actually, what we're waiting on any time now is a city to respond to that. So that's where this lawsuit is. It's it's working its way through Boone County Circuit Court. <laughs> I just I just can't believe the hubris. Uh, it, it's it's crazy making. Uh, Real estate, you know, I got a friend of mine that uh, sells real estate. She sold, she and her husband uh, helped me purchase and helped us sell our home uh, in Columbia. Terrific real estate agent. I'm going to have have her come on the program next week uh, and talk about prices. But you say that home prices in 2023 in Boone County are up 45%? From 2019. So the, the Columbia Board of Realtors released their year-end statistics last year. And I think the year-over-year increase, if we talk, they're both median and average is about 4% year-over-year, which is a real slowdown from the prior year. So it is slowing down. But here's the stunning statistic is uh, since 2019, from 2019 to 2023, the average, the median average of a single-family home in Boone County has increased 45% and now stands at right about $303,000. Wow. Yeah. That's that, it is amazing. You know, um just to put uh, something in perspective here. Uh and it has nothing to do with the, the the city per se but with inflation and with the government printing money. My parents bought a house in a rather tony area uh of of uh, Cleveland. In fact, a tony area of Cleveland Heights. And it was a 5500 square foot house. English tutor, and they bought it for, I think it was $26,000. Today, that house is worth like $700,000. These homes, these prices have gone up so much because we keep printing money. Yeah. It's not a local story, but it does certainly explain... Uh, where these prices are. And with the interest rates going, uh, having gone up as much as they have, you would think that home sales would be slowing down. Uh, any indication? Did you find out? Yes, they are slowing. They're slowing, but it doesn't, it's the contradiction, which hasn't happened before, is the number of sales is slowing. It's slowed considerably. It's under the prior year, but the prices, but prices continue to go up. And what that goes to is inventory, and the other problem or the other part of this story is uh, the inventory just isn't keeping up with demand. And government is a little bit in the way of this inventory with their development codes and, and zoning codes. And there's quite a bit of conversation starting to go on that we went overboard with all these regulations on what it takes to be able to build and the expense that it adds and its impact on affordable housing, housing in general. And that's that's uh, becoming a political issue that's actually getting talked about for the first time that I in, that I remember. Everybody was all aboard with the uni- with the uh, unified development code. Uh, I shouldn't say everybody, but it, politically, it it you know was a big good thing when it came in. But now all the uh, the unintended consequences are are starting to rear their head, and uh, we don't have homes for people to move up to. So therefore, there's not starter homes, and uh, and there's not near enough being built. And right now, regardless of price, it's extremely difficult to buy a home in Columbia. Yeah, big government will do that to you. Uh, how about uh, short-term rentals? Uh, you covered that, too, didn't you? Yeah, that's going to blow here. It could blow or it could not. That's the major question coming into uh, 
Monday. Monday night after it's been five years now, they've been working on regulations to try to regulate these Airbnbs in Columbia. There are there's 400, 500 of them operating illegally because there's there's no there's no part there's nothing for them in the in the uh, property codes. Uh, they have a, a an ordinance in front of them. It's a set of ordinances. It's, it's complicated. Uh, whether it, the the Planning and Zoning Commission has worked on this and approved it, it's been controversial. There's people fighting it. That mostly the B and, the Airbnb owners. Um, we'll see. There's conflicts of interest. There's all kinds of drama around it. One one uh, Nick Knoth, one councilman's being recalled, largely over it. Another council person actually owns one of them. Uh, uh, the mayor has sent back the P and Z uh, original proposal to soften it for the for the Airbnb owners. Uh, I think there'll be a long public hearing. I think it'll be contentious. I don't even want to make a prediction what will happen. Uh, yeah, I've talked to a lot of people, even the people involved. I'm going to write a story about it here before the end of the week, which is tomorrow, to try to preview it, especially going through what the conflict of interests are. Uh, so it's just really, really, really messy. You want to find out? <clears throat> you want to find out what's? Pardon me. Uh, what's going on in the city of Columbia? Como Buzz with one Z. ComoBuzz.com. Uh, that is the place to go. Mike Murphy, thank you for being with But before I let you go, who's on the show Sunday? Don't know. The pressure's Good. building. I know. The pressure's building. What, it's probably going to be something to do with this uh, Airbnb. I'm wrapping up. This thing is kind of developing fast here at the end. And uh, I, I, I'm waiting until Friday to make a decision who we're going to bring on. All right. I look forward to it, Thanks. as always. Uh, right. We got to run. Dave Rowland's coming up next. You're listening uh, to The Gary Nolan Show, Think Tank Thursday, the Zimmer Radio Network. It is uh, 20 minutes after 11 o'clock, and uh, the Freedom Fighter has uh, struck again, and man, he hit it out of the ballpark. That's Dave Rowland, MoFreedom.org. What happened in Greene County, Mr. Rowland? And congratulations on another victory. Thank you. Thank you so much. So this was the case where um, a, a, a lady who lives in Springfield was concerned about the possibility of fraud in the 2020 election. And so she asked the Greene County clerk to provide what's called the, the cast vote records. So um, when an election is conducted, they collect data related to how the votes were cast. And it's assembled in like this big database. And Mike Lindell, among others, thought that if we had access to this database, then we would be able to look and either confirm or disprove that people were tinkering with the votes related to the 2020 election. And so uh, she asked for them, and Shane Scholler, the Greene County clerk, who's currently running for Secretary of State, filed a lawsuit against her under the Sunshine Law. And a lot of people were really concerned about that. They, they thought, oh, man, why is this guy suing someone who was just trying to get public records? Um, but one of the things I've tried to impress on people is that he actually did the right thing. He wanted to be able to produce some of these records, but he wasn't sure if Missouri law would allow it. Um, if, a, uh, if an election authority provides access that to records that would allow someone to know how an individual cast their ballot, how they voted, then that's a serious election offense. Um, and, and so he wanted to make sure that he was doing the right thing under Missouri law, and that's why he filed the lawsuit. So we have worked with the county clerk's office for the last year on a consent judgment, and that means both parties agree that this is how the law is supposed to be applied in this case. And what we agreed to is they are going to produce 
almost everything. There were a handful of situations where um, providing certain information could theoretically have allowed somebody to figure out which ballot data belonged to which voter. So, for example, um, there are certain special elections that take place in limited districts within a municipality, and you might have only about a dozen people casting ballots that include that particular ballot issue. And so if there are only a dozen people casting ballots, um, then you might be able to figure out, oh, wait, now I know which one of these 12 ballots or so belongs to which voter, and you could figure out how they voted. So we were sensitive to that possibility, and we allowed them to redact information in those very limited circumstances. The thing that's held this up for so long is that the county clerk's office wanted to be able to redact entire categories of information. So they wanted to be able to redact the ballot type. They wanted to be able to redact the precinct data. Um, And we said, well, look, that's basically using a chainsaw when all you really need is a scalpel. Let's use a scalpel. Let's, you know, redact the information in a very, very limited number of circumstances, but otherwise leave the the data intact. And we finally got them to agree to do that. Uh, We went down, had a hearing last week. That's why I wasn't able to do the show last week. And the judge talked to us about it. And he said, you know, there are some consent judgments where I'm not real sure that it's a good thing to go ahead and sign it, either because the judgment's not very well written or because I'm not sure that they got the law right on this. He says, I've read this through, and I have to say, I'm really impressed with the quality of the writing and with the legal reasoning. I think you guys have really got the right result here. I'm happy to put my name on it. So, so yeah, we're really excited about that. It's been kind of a long time coming, but the upshot of it is, is that it, it should mean that going forward, if someone wants to have cast vote records uh, from an election in Missouri, they should be able to get access to it. Now, this case does not bind courts in other counties, um, but it should be persuasive precedent. People should be able to point to this and say, hey, look, this is how the law got applied in Greene County. Um, it should be applied the same way in these other counties. And, and that's what we are hoping is going to happen with this case. We're hoping that this judgment will be a model that will be used throughout the rest of the state to guarantee citizen access to these records and thus transparency and accountability for our election process. So did you, like, take a bow when he said all those nice things? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> not just just smiled and, and uh, shook the hands of the folks on the other side. But you actually think it was the right thing to do for him to challenge this uh, and, and, and f- to draw you into to uh, to, to, to determine. Yeah, oh, it was it was absolutely the right thing to do. So so this is one of the features of the Sunshine Law. Um When the government files a lawsuit, they are accepting financial responsibility for the entire thing. So we had been approached with people who had been denied records um, in, in counties where the local election authority was not going to file a lawsuit. And we ended up deciding not to take those cases because they were going to be extremely hard fought. We thought that we were going to have to bring in a number of expert witnesses. We thought it was going to be very, very expensive. And quite frankly, we just didn't have the resources. 
But when Shane Scholler filed this case in Greene County, all of a sudden it it guaranteed we were going to have all the resources that we needed to litigate the case the way it needed to be litigated. Now, fortunately, it also turned out that we didn't have to fight the way that uh, we anticipated having to fight in some of these jurisdictions uh, because Shane Scholler really was trying to do the right thing here. So fortunately, um, we didn't have to bring in the experts and we were able to keep the costs relatively low. But um, but yeah, if, if this had been a different jurisdiction and if there had really been a hard fight on this, the only way that we could have taken that case on was to have the government file the lawsuit because that guarantees, again, um, that the government's going to be footing all the bill for it. So, so yeah, this really worked out the best way it possibly could have, I think, for, for the people of Missouri. All right. Uh You've uh, you've uh, picked up the torch and uh, you've got another case that uh, you're going to uh, uh, engage in. Uh, for those of you who don't know, this is about animal husbandry, which is, I guess, uh, the practice of raising uh, and and breeding animals uh, for uh, for human use. I guess. So. Yeah, it's it's the traditional way of caring for animals. So, I mean, people have have domesticated animals for most of human history, and um, there has always been a group of people that focused, that specialized on providing care for like large livestock, in particular horses. Um, if you've ever heard the phrase "someone's getting long in the tooth," that is a reference to the fact that. Horses' teeth grow throughout their lifetime, and so if a horse has a long tooth, it means that it's old. Um, but what you have to do to keep the horses healthy and to keep them performing properly is occasionally you need to file down these sharp enamel points that can develop on horses' teeth. This has been done for more than a thousand years, possibly as many as two thousand years. All right, well, hold it, hold practice. it, hold it, oh, hold sure. it, hold it, because what's going to happen here is we'll hit a commercial break. And, uh, and and you're going to get interrupted in what promises to be a very fun story. Uh, and I mean that. Uh, you also uh, are uh, going to chat about uh, Attorney General Bailey, uh, who, along with 27 uh, other states, are supporting Texas' right to defend itself. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll chat about that. Uh, also, Arizona lawmaker... Uh, is proposing giving uh, legislature the final say on presidential winner. That sounds really bizarre to me. Uh, U.S. Uh, judge dismissing Disney's lawsuit against uh, Governor DeSantis. Uh, and uh, finally, Tennessee, Virginia, uh, attorneys general filed lawsuit against the NCAA. Uh, this is something uh, that, I don't know, it just struck me as weird. But we're going to cover all that and more. Uh, I'm actually going to ask you about something we were talking about before you got on this morning, uh, dealing with Josh Hawley and uh, Facebook and, and other uh, uh, platforms that people use to communicate. Uh, and, and I made it, uh, I think, a reasonable comparison to gun control. Uh, some people agreed with me, some people didn't. I'm just curious to get your response to it. So all that and more coming up in the next segment of the program. Dave Rowland, MoFreedom.org. On the Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network.
This is the Gary Nolan Show. Oh, boy. Uh, Randy, there's a reason I do what I do, and you're not aware of it, but thank you for the email. Uh, Dave Rowland with us, uh, MoFreedom.org. And uh, we're, we're getting into this uh, animal husbandry case that uh, you are taking. Uh, this is uh, taking care of horses and cattle and... Yeah, exactly. And, and historically, you haven't needed to be a veterinarian to do these basic tasks. Um, so the task that this case involves is called floating horses' teeth, and that just means smoothing them out. Um, when they develop these sharp enamel points, uh, the, the points can cut the insides of the horse's cheek and make it difficult for them to take a bit, um, make it uh, harder for them to eat their food properly. And so every once in a while, you just rasp down these sharp enamel points, smooth them out, and then the horse can perform better, it can eat better, it's gonna be healthier and live longer. Um, this has been done for thousands of years. And only recently did veterinarians decide, you know what, we don't want anyone else to do this work. Um, up until recently, it was considered, and this is a direct quote from a veterinary textbook in the early 20th century, um, it said it's beneath the dignity of the learned veterinarian to float the teeth of horses, not because it's difficult or dangerous, but because it's a trifling affair that even the uneducated can master. That's a direct quote from a veterinary medicine textbook. And what happened is, is in the late 20th century, they started developing uh, electrified tools that make the job significantly easier and less dirty than it used to be. And so veterinarians realized, oh wait, well, you know, I can, I can make decent money by charging people to do this and these electric tools make it a lot easier. And so at that point they started thinking, well, let's start forcing out the competition. And so they started trying to shut down these traditional floaters and saying, you're no longer allowed to earn a living in this occupation unless you become a veterinarian. And so we took a case like this about, oh, 13 years ago, and we lost, but it was one of those cases where I felt like the courts really gave short shrift to the arguments. Um, and I've wanted to go back and readdress this issue ever since. And it's just now that uh, this client, Crystal Cook, um, got uh, taken to court by the veterinary medical board and they said you know she's been telling people that she's trained in teeth floating so we want the courts to tell her she's got to stop now real important in that is one of the things that they focused on is not that she was actually floating the horse's teeth which by the way is legal as long as you don't get paid for it, like any horse owner, any full-time employee of a horse owner is legally allowed to get some floats and try and float these horses' teeth, even if they have no training whatsoever, no experience whatsoever, perfectly legal for them to do it. But as soon as they try and hire one of these traditional floaters to provide the work, that's what's illegal. So it's not about protecting the horses. It's purely about economic protectionism. Um, and so, but what they were targeting here is that she was telling people that she has training experience in this field. She was wearing a shirt that had the word dentist and they said, that's illegal too. Oh, and that's a free speech issue. 
And so what we have done is we came into the case and we not only answered the government's claims against her, we filed a counterclaim. We went on offense and we said, if this statute actually tells people they're not allowed to share truthful information about floating horses' teeth or their background or experience floating horses' teeth, that violates the First Amendment. And it's also a violation of their right to earn a living in this traditional harmless occupation. So I'm pretty excited about taking on this case. It is going to be an uphill fight, especially on the right to earn a living because of this case that we lost about a decade ago. Um, there will be a little bit of an uphill fight, but, but the claims in this case are even more egregious than the ones were in the case before. And so I'm hopeful that this time we can get it to the Missouri Supreme Court and hopefully the Missouri Supreme Court does the right thing. What was the previous case about? It was the same issue. Uh, it dealt with uh, a floater named Brooke Gray, who was out on the west side of the state. And she actually was responsible for floating the teeth for the Kansas City Mounted Police. Um, we had several veterinarians who testified on her behalf, and they said she's the only one they would trust their horses to uh, because she was really, really good at this kind of work. Um, and unfortunately, in that case, the, the court kind of glossed over all of the positives and basically said, well, yeah, but the legislature says you've got to have a veterinary license. Therefore, that's the end of the case. Um, we pointed out, by the way, that at the veterinary school, you have to have 3,400 hours of training to graduate. Care to guess how many of those 3,400 hours were devoted to teaching people how to float horses' teeth? Would looking at that number resemble a donut? <laughs> Close. One half hour. One uh, half hour out of 3,400 hours of training had anything to do with floating horses' teeth. Um, it was a really strong set of facts, and, and that's why I was so frustrated that the, that the court really just did not engage with the facts at all. Um, but, I mean, that's why we take these cases. Historically, that's one of the things courts have done. When we're talking about economic liberty, essentially the, the courts have come, or many courts, have come to the conclusion that facts actually don't matter. And that's not how the, the U.S. Supreme Court um, historically has treated the right to earn a living. They've said, no, you do actually have to look at the facts. There has to be, at a minimum, some rational connection between the training that's required and the government's goal of presumably protecting human or animal safety and welfare. And we were able to show, I felt pretty convincingly, that requiring someone to become a veterinarian doesn't do anything to increase the welfare of the animals that are having their teeth floated, um, and it doesn't protect people in any meaningful way either. Uh, but, but again, um, the, the Western District Court of Appeals in Missouri really just kind of glossed it over, and the Missouri Supreme Court declined to take that case. My goal in this one is to get it in front of the Missouri Supreme Court. I, I really want to get another good set of facts, take it up to them, and put them to the test. Let's find out. Are they willing to protect what Missouri's Constitution calls the gains of your own industry? Or are they basically going to render it a dead letter? Um, and by the way, that's an important element here is the Missouri Constitution um, is unusual in that it protects not only life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It also specifically protects the right to enjoy the gains of your own industry. 
And that is specifically aimed at the laws in the wake of the Civil War that denied people the right to earn money for labor that they were providing. So the the black codes that were being passed said, you can provide work, but the people that are employing you can't give you cash money. Um, They can give you boarding, they can give you rooms, but they can't give you cash. And it was a way of reducing people, again, to a condition of servitude. And so to deny someone the ability to earn for work that is otherwise lawful, I argue, is a denial of the gains of one's industry in violation of the Missouri Constitution. Really important protection built into our Constitution. The courts need to treat it as such. It'll be interesting to see how this turns out. I wonder if there's any workaround uh, for people who are kind of caught up in this. Uh, can they go to work for the uh, uh, the, the horse owner? They get hired full time if they are hired. Oh, it's got to be full time. Yeah, uh-huh. and that's 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 the weird thing. Not tr- it doesn't depend on training. It doesn't depend on experience. You just have to be hired full time. So, in other words. Very large horse operations might be able to hire someone full time to do this kind of work, but that screws over, um, you know, the the people that just have a small farm and they only have a couple of horses, and they can't possibly hire someone full time to do this work. But it'd be really convenient if once or twice a year they could bring somebody out to take care of their horses. Um, it's it's a situation where the law really protects people with wealth while you know hosing people that that don't have as much. Well, maybe they can all contribute to a fund, uh, create a company, hire somebody full-time to work for that company who, coincidentally, can do this for horse's teeth. But let's move on, because Attorney General Bailey is uh, engaged with 27-state coalition supporting Texas' right to defend itself. We'll find out what what your take is on this next on The Gary Nolan Show on a Think Tank Thursday. Ten minutes to noon on a Think Tank Thursday. Dave Roland, MoFreedom.org slash donate, I might add, so that you can help him continue to fight for freedom because he doesn't charge for that service. Uh, Attorney General Bailey joining 27 State Coalition uh, supporting Texas' right to defend itself. Well, where, where do you come down on that? Well, so as listeners, I'm sure are aware, we have had a a significant issue in recent months with um, people crossing the southern border. Um, And Texas has uh, borne the brunt of that because it has a very long border with Mexico. The problem that we've got is that handling immigration by and large is a matter of federal policy. And the U.S. Supreme Court recently said um, that the Texas police and uh, National Guard could not prevent federal border agents from cutting down some of the barriers that Texas had been trying to put on its borders. And then Governor Abbott in Texas basically said he was going to ignore that that position. Um, and the way that he justified ignoring what the Supreme Court said, what the uh, federal government is trying to do, is he invoked the U.S. Constitution. And Article One of the U.S. Constitution 
specifies limits on what Congress can do, and then it specifies limits on what states can do under our constitutional system. And the clause that Governor Abbott was pointing at says this. It says, no state shall, without the consent of Congress, lay any duty or tonnage, keep troops or ships of war in time of peace, enter into any agreement or compact with another state or with a foreign power or engage in war unless actually invaded or in such imminent danger as will not admit of delay. Governor Abbott looked at that and he says, well, we are being invaded. We have a bunch of foreign nationals coming across the border. They're not being restricted by the federal government. We're being invaded. We have to be able to respond to this. That's the position he took, and Andrew Bailey has now joined, I think, what was it, 27 other states in saying, yes, Texas has to be allowed to do something about this. The problem is the clause that I just read doesn't say Texas gets to do whatever it wants if it feels like it's being invaded. It says the states are allowed to engage in war if they are actually invaded. We and are. So if you've got a government or if you've got a governor claiming the right to act under this provision, he's not claiming just the right to um, put up barriers. He's claiming the right to engage in war. And I think that is really, really concerning. And if I may be so bold, short-sighted. I understand that Governor Abbott and, you know, Attorney General Bailey may be able to score a lot of political points by taking this position. I think they are not considering the broader implications of the position. And those broader implications, I think, are quite concerning. So I'm not – Gary, I think, I think you know – I am in favor of much freer levels of immigration than than we are currently allowing. Um, I don't see immigrants as being a bad thing. I see them as being a positive. But I understand why people are concerned about this, and I do not mean to minimize the very legitimate concerns that some people have about the number of people that are currently crossing the border. What I am suggesting is, is that Invoking this clause of the Constitution is not the way to approach it. I think that we've got an election coming up in November, and if the people are as upset as many of them seem to be about how the border is being handled, that's the time to deal with this. Elect members of Congress that are going to do what you want them to do in regard, in regard to the border. Elect a president who's going to do what you want them to do in regard to the border. I don't think the solution is to say, oh, we're going to invoke the provision that allows us to declare war on countries that are having people come across our borders. I, I think that that is a far more dangerous proposition than a lot of people are, are um, taking account of. Had a discussion about this this morning with Jim Babka. Uh, and uh, the the conclusion is, if you want reasonable immigration, you have to quit seducing people 
into coming in and getting free health care, free housing, free clothing, free food, free everything. You've got to make it like it used to be, where you relied on charity or your own wits. Can I play devil's advocate here, though? No, because I, I don't like it when you do that. <laughs> I think most of the people coming across the border are not doing it for free stuff. I think it's because there are job opportunities here. There are jobs that need to be filled. Yeah, and I'm good with They're that. They're willing I... to do those jobs, and and when they do those jobs, many of these folks are paying taxes. Dave, I don't and, have a problem. Dave, yeah. Dave, I don't have a problem with that. I think yeah. anybody who wants to come here and work should be allowed to work, I, and and that should be it. We shouldn't have artificial numbers saying only so many people can come across the border from Poughkeepsie or Timbuktu or Mexico or whatever. I think those are all ridiculous. Well, what I'm saying is there are a number of people who come here and have anchor babies. There are a number of people who come here because their their economic situation is horrible. And if they could just get across the border, they'll get all of these perquisites. Uh, and, uh, and if we quit doing that, then we'll know the people coming in are coming in to go to work. And by and large, that's a good thing. I, I think we're in agreement. Okay. Uh, don't ever scare me like that again. <laughs> Boy, I'm telling you. <laughs> all right. Uh, Brian, what do I have? A minute left? I don't know. Which one can you do faster, uh, Disney or Tennessee? Let's, let's, let's do the NCAA. I All think right. the NCAA is going down in flames, Gary. Um, they got smacked down a couple of years ago by the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, pointing out that for decades the NCAA has been restricting the economic opportunities of college athletes and that that was illegal for them to do. Um, and basically the writing was on the wall at that point. Now the NCAA is going after the University of Tennessee, which of course I'm biased because I'm a Tennessee guy, but um, they're going after Tennessee for something that I just don't see how they think there's anything wrong with it. Some people not affiliated with the university uh, had a recruit fly on a private plane to go and visit the college. That's what happened, and uh, the NCAA is wanting to bring down the hammer on the university, even though, again, these were not people affiliated with the university who did this. And so um, the, the state of Tennessee and the state of Virginia have filed lawsuit that I think is likely to be the death knell of the NCAA. So I think we're, we are approaching more of um, an actual free market when it comes to the field of college sports. Dave Rowland, MoFreedom.org. Thank you for being with us. We got to run. You, Gary. All right, buddy. Whatever it is in life that you want, go out and get it. Don't wait for the government to drop it in your lap. You make it happen. Seize the day. Carpe diem and Gwen, baby, honey, I am coming home.